Today's reading is from Mark 2, verses 23 to 28. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only to priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Amen. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for the reading, James. We're going to come back to that in just a few moments' time. This is our final week on spiritual rhythms. I know. Try not to be too sad. I don't think I didn't hear the yay in the corner. So the past four weeks we've been looking at um, patterns of behaviour or, or rhythms which we can adopt in order to become more spiritually healthy. And back on the 4th of September, um, we began our series by looking at what it means to follow Jesus, to really follow him, to not just see him as a saviour, but also to see him as our, our Lord and Master, and to see him as our teacher, and to see him as our friend. And then when we had the right perspective of Jesus, we started to look at his life and say, what spiritual rhythms did he have? What can we learn from the way um, that he lived his life? And then the second week, we looked at how Jesus um, needed to unplug to, to withdraw from the world around him, to reconnect, to plug into his heavenly father and how that relationship formed the basis for his whole ministry. He kept himself grounded in that relationship. And then we looked at how we might do the same. The third week we looked at how Jesus didn't journey alone, but how he intentionally surrounded himself with a fellowship, with a, a group of people that would be there for him in the highs and the lows. Um, and then we talked about how we can encourage each other on our journeys of faith. And then last week we looked at how Jesus came um, to be, not to be served, but to serve others. And then again, we looked at how we might do the same. So we've covered a lot of ground so far. And then all of a sudden, it's October. Doesn't time fly when you're having fun? Christmas is just around the corner, as Bev has reminded us this morning. I think she said it was only 83 days left. Time to get shopping. But the truth is, it's been a busy month here at the church. We've been running our Alpha courses and our parenting courses, um, as well as all the normal ministries that started back up in September. And we've been getting really excited about taking the youth away in a few weeks' time. Um, but it's not just the church. It seems like everybody that I speak to, um, every conversation I've had with folk through the week, I've said, you know, how are things doing? How are you? And they said, I'm good. I'm just really tired. Or I'm just really busy at the moment. It's like those summer holidays are a, a distant memory. Maybe you feel like that this morning. So as we do our last spiritual rhythm together today, um, I want us to look together at the rhythm of rest. Now, 
the message paraphrase of Matthew 11. We've read this every week, so you should know it off by heart, but I'll read it one more time. It's Jesus' words. He says, Are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me, uh, work with me, and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace, and I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus wants to give us real rest. Which, let's be honest, is something which is hard to come by these days, isn't it? You know, perhaps more than ever we are busy people with busy lives and busy jobs. The Harvest, Harvest, Harvard, excuse me, um, Business Review, which isn't my normal readership, but there are no good quotes in Spider-Man this month, Um, It opened its article on the work-life balance with the following words. It says, The work-life balance is at best an elusive ideal and at worst a complete myth. That's not very hopeful, is it? In other words, we can strive for a good work-life balance. We can go after it, but the reality is it's going to be always just outside of our grasp. There's just too much to do. We're expected to work longer hours, to push ourselves harder and harder to the point of exhaustion. So when Jesus says, I'll I'll show you how to take real rest, we think that's fantastic if I had the time. (laughs) So what can we do? How can we learn? How can we possibly learn this, this rhythm of rest as busy as we are? I'm glad you asked. Spoiler alert. Uh, My main aim with the sermon today is to convince you that God wants you to have rest. And that way, if you're a Christian, you have to do it, because God said so, and that's how it works. And if you're not a Christian, then maybe you'd be interested in a God that wants you to have a day off. (coughs) So that's my hope. So let's jump into the Bible. If you're not already there, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, which we've just had um, read to us. If you haven't got Bibles, don't worry, it'll be on the screen. Uh, If you can't see the screen, I'll read it to you, so don't worry. Sorry about my voice today, by the way. I think it's quite sultry sounding. (laughs) So the scene is this. The Pharisees, um, who were the keepers of the law for the Jewish people, um, they're questioning Jesus' disciples about their actions on this day, this day called the Sabbath. And uh, for those that perhaps don't know, the, the Sabbath is this day that is set aside exclusively for the practice of worship and rest. And for the Jews, it was, and it still is, a Saturday. Um, as Christians, we, we, we keep a Sabbath of sorts, but on a Sunday, because that's when Jesus came back from the dead. So the disciples are in trouble with the Pharisees. Um, not because they were nicking somebody else's grain. Believe it or not, there was a law that allowed them to take grain with their hands. If they turned it with a tractor, they were in trouble, but their hands were fine. <laughs> Um, They were in trouble because the act of rubbing the grain together in their hands to release the grain counted as food prep. And food prep was work to the Pharisees. If all I had to do to pass my GCSE food was rub some grain together, I think I'd done a lot better um, than I did. We would never consider that work, would we? But the Pharisees did. That's just how strict they were. So on the one hand, we have Jesus saying, keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And then on the other hand, you have the Pharisees, you have the keepers of the law inventing 39 categories of prohibited behaviour. It's 
hardly living free and lightly. Is it? I'll give you an example. This is an actual law. Um, on the Sabbath, man cannot carry something in his right hand or his left hand or across his chest or shoulder, but he could carry something with the back of his hand, with his foot, his elbow, his ear, on the hair or the hem of his shirt or his shoe or sandal. You want another one? On the Sabbath, it's forbidden to tie a knot, except women can tie a knot in their girdle. So if you need to raise some water from a well, you can't tie a knot on a, in a rope, but you could tie your girdle to the bucket and then to the rope, and that would be fine. <laughs> it's hardly living free and light, is it? I mean, what's going wrong here? What's happened? You see, I think somewhere along the line, the Pharisees forgot the point of the Sabbath. All their laws and restrictions were trying to create a man, a person that was good enough for the Sabbath, rather than seeing the Sabbath um, for what it was, which was a day that was given by God for the benefit of his creation. I'm going to show you. Um, Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. That's the start of your Bible, so just close it and reopen it. I'll just run you through um, chapter 1. Real quick, you see, in the book of Genesis, we're giving the story um, of how God created the world, the story of creation. Um, and I don't really mind whether you see this as a, as a literal story or whether a figurative story or however you want to read it, because the point of the creation story is to show us God's heart for his creation. Okay? And what we see is that God loves his creation. You know, he begins by, by sending light into the world and then he uses that to, to make night and day and then he separates the sea from the sky and he brings land out of the sea and then the land produces vegetation and after each thing that he does, he looks at it and he says, this is good. This is good. And he continues and he creates stars and seasons and aardvarks and fish and quail and seagulls and all of it. And eventually he creates man and it says that he creates man in his own image. The, the, the thing in creation that is meant to reflect God. Image bearers, the pinnacle of his creation. And he looks at everything and he said, this is very good. This is someone who had total job satisfaction. And then verse, Genesis 2 verse 1 says this. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God's work is complete and so he rests. Did God need to rest? I'm going to say probably not. He's God. But he chose to rest because he's God. He looked at his work, he, he declared it finished and almost by way of, of celebration. He has this, this intentional time of rest. And you know when ancient kings won a great victory or they won a battle against their enemies, they would come into their temple and they would rest on their throne. And it was, it was to symbolize that there was no more crisis, no more battle to be fought, that they may now be able to rule with wisdom and justice and delight. And so God's rest is, is, is symbolic of his victory in creation. And then verse 3, it tells us that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, and so it becomes a part of the rhythm of creation. A constant reminder that his creation is a completed work 
It's a chance for everyone to cease striving. And just for one day to enter into an intentional time of resting in all that God is, all that God has done, and all that God is going to do from his throne. Stop working and to trust. To recognise him as king and to see ourselves as created beings made in his image and loved by God. Now we've been talk- we're singing about that all morning, haven't we? It's funny how that works out. You are a child of God. And I think we have this day. I think this day is instigated for us because I think God knows that we need reminding. Because we forget. Or maybe some of us don't even know that we are created and loved by God. And we allow other things to define us. Things like our work and our job and the things that we do. You know, have you ever noticed when you meet someone for the first time, one of the first things we always say is, what do you do? Not who are you, but what do you do? And we live in a society that places a premium on people's job. We give people their value and their worth dependent on what they do for a job. Or worse, we take our own value and worth from what we do as a job. And I think... The reason God gives us this day of rest is because it's an opportunity to ask, who am I apart from my work, apart from the things that I do? You know, imagine if we only ever saw Jesus as his job, just some carpenter from Galilee or some um, rabbi with his own views on scripture. That's not who Jesus was. That's not his identity. He's the son of God. At the very start of his ministry, before he even began preaching and healing, God says to him, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. A beloved child of God, right at the start before he's done anything. You know, it's an echo of creation. Right at the start, before we've done anything, God has this day of rest for us. Not to be defined by what we do, but who we are as beloved children of God. It's a gift of, of grace from God. It's an expression of his love for us. You know, it's almost as God is saying, I love what I've done. I love that I've created you. Let's spend this day together. You know, six days a week we can be about, you know, work and doing things, but I want to have this time with you, with my creation. It's beautiful. This is the point of the Sabbath. Let's just come back to, to Mark for a moment then. Because I think the Pharisees had lost sight of this. <clears throat> They no longer saw the Sabbath as a precious gift from God. Uh, they only saw it as a law which needed to be obeyed. In verse 24 it says, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So although it was originally um, given as a blessing by God, it had become a part of their legal system, their laws which the Pharisees were responsible for, for keeping. And interestingly, the law was given um, to the Jewish people after a period uh, of time where they were slaves in Egypt. Now, you might think your life is extra busy at the moment, but compared to being a slave, I think we're doing okay. For one thing, they literally never had a day off. There was no sick pay, no health benefits. They were worked to the point of exhaustion and then worked some more. Now, your boss might be a bit of a taskmaster, but he probably doesn't stand over you with a whip for every time you stop to keep you going again. 
If he does, you need to speak to HR on Monday. <laughs> Seriously, it's not okay. <laughs> but it was dehumanizing. You know, the people of God have become nothing more than utilities, tools for the Egyptians to use and then be thrown away. I'm sure some of you can relate. So the law is given as a reminder of who they were first. And it starts with the words, <clears throat> this is in Exodus 20, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt in, out from the land of slavery. You've been set free. I've rescued you. I've taken you out from the land of, of struggle and strife and you're no longer enslaved. And then he reminds them of the Sabbath. Exodus 20 verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day, uh, it's the Sabbath then to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, not you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor anybody that happens to be hanging out in your town at the time. For... In six days the Lord God made the heavens and the earth, the sea and his, all that's in them, but on the seventh day he rested. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So it's the same story as the first time, but this time it's not only a reminder that they are God's beloved children, it's also a reminder that they've been set free. Now the Pharisees, unfortunately, they took this law and they used it Again, to trap people. You know, it's almost as though they couldn't quite let go of the past. Let's go back to Mark again. How does Jesus respond? Because, you know, Jesus is good. Verse 27. He brings them back first to the point of the Sabbath. He says, the Sabbath was made for man. This was for you. This was supposed to be for your benefit. This was a day of blessing for you. Not man for the Sabbath. But then he goes one step further. He says, so the son of man, and remember that's his nickname for himself, he says, is Lord even of the Sabbath. All of this points to me. You're caught up in what's lawful and what isn't lawful when the one who can offer you real rest, the one who can bring you back to who you were supposed to be, the one that can restore creation to what it should have been, is standing right before you. It's me. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, says Jesus. And it's interesting, isn't it? You know, when God um, finished his work of creation in Genesis, it says that he saw that it was a finished work. It was completed. And when Jesus was on the cross, creating for us a way back to God, John tells us that his last words were, it is finished. A completed work again. No need for any more striving. And you see here in Mark, the Pharisees, they're still laboring. They're still trying to make themselves acceptable to God through the law. Hebrews 10 verse 1 says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. All of your work, all of your sacrifices, all the things that you do, day in, day out, week in, week out, year after year after year, they're not enough. They can't get you there. But Jesus says, I can, because I am the Lord of the Sabbath. If we read down to verse 12 of Hebrews 10, it says this, But when this priest, that's Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, that's his death on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of God. 
His work was finished, and so he rested. It's a picture of creation restored. We've come full circle. The battle is over. The king is on his throne, ready to rule with justice, wisdom, and delight. So perhaps this morning, for some of us, the reason we find rest so hard is because we feel as though our work is never really complete. You know, we're afraid to stop. We feel that the minute we try and let go, everything's just going to unravel around us. We want to control everything. And maybe it's out of a desire to prove ourselves, you know, to our boss or our friends or, or maybe even to God. But the thing is, we're never going to be able to do enough. We're never going to be satisfied apart from God. And Christianity isn't about working to make ourselves acceptable to God. It's about resting in the completed work of Jesus. Do you know that this morning? There's a famous quote from St. Augustine which says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. It doesn't matter how hard we work, how many hours we put in, how busy we make ourselves. It will always be restless until we learn to rest in his completed work. Gone a little bit too far. There we go. Hebrews 4.9 says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest, rests also from their works, just as God did from his. We need to enter his rest. This Sabbath is for us too. God wants you to have this rest. So, two um, practical bits of application then. Number one, we need to be Intentional. I know I use that word a lot. I've used it a lot in this series and we've used it a lot before, but it's a good word. And you might be thinking, you know, all this talk of having some rest and having a, a day off sounds lovely, but I can't afford to take a day off. I want to suggest to you this morning, when it comes to your spiritual health, your spiritual well-being, that you can't afford not to. You really don't have a choice. Um, in his book... Soul keeping, John Ortberg tells of a time when he sought some advice from a spiritual mentor of his, a guy called um, Dallas Willard. And he was entering a really busy time of ministry um, and he wanted to know what he had to do in order to remain spiritually healthy. And so he spoke, he phoned up his friend and he spoke to him and Dallas said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And, uh, and John said, okay, Dallas, I've got that one. Now what other spiritual nuggets do you have for me? I don't have a lot of time and I want to get down all the spiritual wisdom I can. <laughs> and Dallas was patient with him and he said, there's nothing else. He said, hurry is the greatest enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And we need to make space in our schedules for rest. And if we don't, there are consequences for us. We suffer because of it. You may notice of some in your own life. It's when you know, things seem to bother you more than they should, or you become irritable too quickly, or it becomes hard to make simple decisions, and our, our judgment's impaired, and we, we find it hard to resist urges, and we, we eat and drink what we shouldn't just to keep ourselves going. And eventually we burn out. 
And if we're not careful, we burn out the people around us as well. That's an important one for anyone that's in a position of authority. So it's important to find a Sabbath. Ruth Haley Barton says this. This is a bit of a long quote, but it's really worth reading. It says, Sabbath keeping is the linchpin of a life lived in sync with the rhythms that God himself built into our world. And yet it is the discipline that seems hardest for us to live. Sabbath keeping honours the body's need for rest, the spirit's need for replenishment, and the soul's need to delight in, uh, itself in God for God's own sake. It begins with the willingness to acknowledge the limits of our humanness and then to take steps to live more graciously within the order of things. If we're not intentional about creating a Sabbath in our life, we're never going to accidentally stumble across it. It just won't appear. We're back to that quote at the start, aren't we, about it being an elusive ideal. We have to be intentional about it. We have to take control of our schedule. We have to pencil it in, or better, better still, pen it in, because, you know, pen's permanent. A time of rest. Number two, we need to be filled. It's no good scheduling time off and then using that time to work. Christian ministers are particularly bad at this. In fact, anyone involved in ministry is particularly bad at this. And by the way, the excuse, but I love my job, doesn't work. God loved his job. God loved his job so much, he sent his son to redeem it. So, and he still rested. (laughs) So it doesn't fly. The evangelist Vance Havnier once said, if you don't come apart for a while, you'll come apart after a while. It's true. You know, we need to have a day and we need to ensure that that day is full of things that fill us up, that restore us. Richard Foster talks about the early church fathers referring to this as otium sanctum. There you go, you didn't know new Latin, did you? It it means holy leisure. I like that, holy leisure. And it's about engaging in practices that reconnect us with our God and with each other. And it could be any number of things. It's going to look different for everyone. You know, for me, quality time with my children always fills me up. It allows me to gain a deeper understanding of the Father heart of God. And it it makes me happy. It gives me joy. It helps me to see my identity as more than the things that I do. For others, it might be going for a walk, you know, enjoying God's creation or, or gardening or biking or painting or baking or walking the dog or eating outside or camping or sport or special time with your husband and wife. You know what I mean, special time. Don't make me say it. Anything that refreshes us, you know, that reminds us that we are more than our jobs and reconnects us with our Heavenly Father. Make sure that you're filled up. Yeah, I wasn't sure about telling this story because my father-in-law is sitting here and he'll, he'll be on at me about it if I, if I tell it, but I feel I need to. Um, I, I nearly... Um, <laughs> you're still on the husband and wife thing, aren't you? I nearly blew up my car the other day. <clears throat> and I was on my way home and uh, I, 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 the, the thing that tells you how hot your engine is, it sort of shot up to one side. And uh, so I, I pulled over and panicked and um, uh, got out and opened the bonnet and, and looked in. And I don't know why, because I don't know the first thing about cars. But <laughs> I just sort of wanted to feel like I was doing something, you know. 
So I sort of stared at it and, you know, closed it again and shrugged. And um, thankfully I was, at, I was at the top of it. I, I live at the bottom of the hill and I was at the top of the hill. So I sort of rolled home mostly. Um, and then it, it came to me and I thought, I need to check my coolant level. Um, and my coolant level was empty because <laughs> I hadn't bothered to keep it filled up. And because I hadn't bothered to keep it filled up, I nearly blew up the engine. <laughs> I think there's a spiritual lesson in there somewhere. <laughs> So we need to do things that fill us up. So God wants you to have rest. He wants you to know that you are his beloved creation. And that through the completed work of Jesus, you've been set free. So you are allowed to take a day off. Let me finish with a a story. Um, There was once a traveller visiting Africa. And hoping to make their journey swifter, they hired some local carriers and guides. And on the first day, the traveller was really pleased with the the enormous progress that they made. They travelled miles and miles and miles. Um, And on the second day, as he got up to start, carry on his journey, the helpers and guides, they refused to move. They just wouldn't get up. And the traveller was frustrated. So he said to the leader, he said, what's wrong with them? Why won't they move? And he told them that on the first day, They had travelled too far, too fast, and now they were waiting for their souls to catch up to their bodies. Do we sometimes travel so far and so fast that we don't notice what we're leaving behind? Perhaps it's time for a rest. The band want to come and join us, and we'll just uh, let's just bow our heads and close in prayer.